When I wake up in the morning, love And the sunlight hurts my eyes And something without warning, love Bears heavy on my mind Then I look at you And the world's all right with me Just one look at you And I know it's gonna be gallery Le Long to hear these amazing individuals, okay? So Leonardo Drew, who's the subject of the exhibition and also an amazing show at Madison Square Park Conservancy, his first outdoor work, Cities in the Grass, on view, will be speaking today with Savona, uh, I'm sorry, is it McKay? Bailey? Bailey McLean, okay, who uh, is the director of Harlem Arts and does an series of radio programs, New York State of the Arts, where you've interviewed an extraordinary lineup of individuals and brought the arts into a different uh, space for all of us to enjoy. And of course, our beloved Brooke Rappaport, who, Charlotta, who not only is the direct, Martin Friedman director and curator at Madison Square Park Conservancy, but our incredible commissioner for the United States for the Venice Biennale for bringing Martin's work to an international audience. So thank you all, and I'm just going to turn it over to the hostesses and host. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you. Thank you to the audience for coming on the first beautiful day in New York in a month. <laughs> so good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I have to get technical support. Dan, can you see why mm -hmm. this isn't working? Is it just not on? Yeah, it's not on. It's not on? Okay. Power? There it is. But it doesn't turn. How about that? Hello? Can you hear me now? Should be on. Can you hear me now? Oh, I hear myself. So um, welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for coming out on a real beautiful afternoon. And um, as Mary just said, uh, my name is Savannah Bailey McLean. I am the executive director of the West Harlem Art Fund, and we deal with public art. And I'm also the radio podcast host for State of the Arts NYC, heard on several platforms. And I am so happy to be here with Leonardo Drew and Brooke Kamen Rappaport, because I really think this exhibition is stunning, don't you? Yes. It's absolutely amazing. And so we're here today to have this little chat uh, with both Leonardo and Brooke to talk about both his exhibition here, his first solo exhibition here, and also his first public art installation in Madison Square Park. Two firsts. Yes, two firsts. So we're gonna dive right in and we are gonna allow people to ask questions too. I like to make things interesting. So just before, I just wanted to share with everyone how did I get into public art. 
So I got into public art because I am the oldest child in my family and the shortest. <laughs> it's the truth. And I would drag my sisters begrudgingly, they were not very happy, to museums. And they would be, there she goes again, she's taking us to a museum. And I would drag them to see art. And when I came out of college, I tried to get other people to join me to visit galleries, museums. Nobody wanted to come. They really felt intimidated. So I thought as a young woman, I'm now an old woman, uh, <laughs> that maybe if I helped to bring art in open public spaces, it might make people feel less intimidated. 21 years forward, people still feel intimidated with the arts, but I do believe there is a, a real change when it comes to public art now. I think people are starting to appreciate it and ask more questions, so that's how I got in. So I'm gonna now start off with Leonardo because I read about how you got into art, but I'd like you to share how you got into the arts as a young child. Well, I, I wouldn't exactly say I got into art. I mean, art was in me. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, I was, a, I guess you would call a problem child. I mean, like mm -hmm. a, an addict. I mean, I had to draw all the time on mm -hmm. everything and anything. Okay. And uh, really was seriously a problem for my mother. She had to <laughs> take me out of public school, mm -hmm. put me in the Catholic school where mm -hmm. she felt that they would be more strict on like me sort of focusing. It didn't work. I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation now if I actually... <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I, but I did start to come around and be more human. Well, I read um, how you were living in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and the housing complex you were living in was like surrounded by um, city the dump. city dump. That's right, landfills. And, and you basically went in and you started to interact and you started creating things. And I thought that was a wonderful story of how you could turn lemons into lemonade, that you went in there, interacted, and you just created things. Yeah, I think that when you're born an artist, you, you know, um, when I say, you know, seriously sort of uh, focus on uh, this sort of uh, inward journey. So all things that are around you are in a lot of ways incorporated into this sort of like mechanism that is, mm -hmm. that makes you. They get funneled through you, you abstract them and they come out. So all these objects, things that I was sort of seeing in the, uh, the uh, landfills in the neighborhood, and uh, it, it all just became, you know, material. Mm -hmm. um, so as life, you know, you, you're picking up, uh, uh, you know, ideas, uh, situations, and obviously experiences, and they become very much a part of your journey. And quite a journey it is, because from a child to now, your work is like explosive. It looks like the landfills. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, we, what I look at, like, uh -huh. the grids. I remember people um, going on about uh, the mental aspect of my work because, you know, they're based on these grids. Mm -hmm. uh, the grids were really uh, more about, you know, like, uh, I would say, like, uh, you know, a practical, how to get things out of my place because, you know, I was making things that I couldn't get out of my apartment. So, you know, I had to sort of break them up to sort of become... You know, like uh, something that was that made sense mm -hmm. in terms of like getting it out. Okay. Uh, but you know, the the grid itself. And whenever I look at 
you know, these uh, projects, mm -hmm. you know, I said, I guess those things are embedded in, you know, me, how I see things, you know, like uh, these cubicles. You know? Okay. You know, so I think that like uh, all this, all this does become in a lot of ways information and uh, there are always practical ways of, uh, you know, making adjustments to your life. But when it comes to material, I definitely sort of been collecting all throughout information. Okay. You know? okay. I'm going to bring Brooke into the conversation because uh, you really started off in many ways in public art from the Brooklyn Museum, doing works at the Jewish Museum. And so I wanted to ask what inspired you to look at sculpture. And I know you're also, you also write for Sculpture Magazine. You're uh, an, a contributing editor. So I wanted to ask you what brought sculpture to your life? Um, I was very inspired by my colleague, Charlotta Kotick, um, who was the department chair at the Brooklyn Museum when I was there as a rookie in the field. Um, Charlotta had started a, a series of projects in the museum grand lobby. Today, the grand lobby of the museum has a large um, uh, counter for admissions, but when we were there, it, uh, it was a space like an airplane And uh, Charlotta began that program and invited contemporary artists to kind of take on that space um, through commissions. And I think that, that the lessons learned there um, were very significant for being able to deal with outdoor Okay. Thank you, Carlotta. Hi. So now, going back to uh, Leonardo, and we now understand what inspired you, how you started to uh, create art. And I'm learning from you that your practice has evolved over the years, that um, you felt that um, you could move from monochrome colors to you know, multicolors. And what inspired you to move in that direction? Well, whenever I felt that uh, you know, uh, things were getting sort of, um, I guess, uh, easy or, uh, you know, just, you know, I always need to challenge. Okay. You know, like, uh, and want to always place myself in a, you know, in a position where I don't know. Mm -hmm. And uh, that has been consistent all throughout. Mm -hmm. uh, younger, when I was younger, you know, I was asked by uh, DC and Marvel Comics actually to work with them. Oh. This is in the 70s. And, you know, like, uh, I remember uh, actually seeing Jackson Pollock's work. And that was the poison for me, meaning in terms of like, okay, there's something else behind this prettified surface. Or if you're drawing, you're really good at it, and you're good at you know painting, and you know there's a there's a surface beyond that. Mm -hmm. And I think when I was introduced to Jack and Pollock work, it was you know this whole idea of like you know uh, using my facility as sort of like you do uh, graphics or, or or illustration. It was doomed. You know, mm. I, I had to sort of push forward, mm -hmm. and you know it was the introduction of abstraction, and ever since it's been kind of like. This I'm going, whenever I feel like I'm falling into like a comfort zone, it's like I need, I need to challenge that. So it's always about pushing to the next place, the next challenge. But you also have stories behind what you do. Like, um, I told you yesterday, I met Leonardo yesterday, and I was really struck by how Gulliver's Travel 
impacted you. And I remember, I don't know how many of you remember the animation uh, film. It was feature length, Gulliver's Travel, 1939. I was a kid, I loved it, the whole thing. And two days ago, because of that, I went on YouTube to watch that film. I hadn't seen that film in maybe 40 plus years, but it really put a smile on my face. But to hear that that impacted you. So there's some storytelling behind most of your works. Um, what types of stories are you most interested in sharing? Well, I mean, I followed cinema uh, pretty much all throughout my life. It's mm -hmm. like, uh, and it still pops up. I mean, follow all the uh, you know great uh, directors and auteurs like uh, uh, Terrence Malick and mm -hmm. you know like uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick. I understand structure and actually how to sort of like compose, mm. you know, like a, a, a you know actually lyrically mm -hmm. uh, from cinema. So, uh, but though the uh, introduction of uh, Gulliver's Travel was more about the kids who were playing in front of the studio okay. and how they were seeing my work, mm -hmm. you know, uh, from their perspective, it was like, you know, my work was a cityscape, and I just sort of we say appropriate moves. I stole the idea from the kids. You know, they saw the <laughs> cityscape, and I said, you know what? Rather than do this monumental sculpture, which would have been uh, would be the norm for like taking out mm -hmm. an outdoor situation, I said, why not take it to the ground? The kids introduced this idea of, you know, from their perspective, they were Gulliver. Yes. You know? And I got was, that part. Yeah, they really were Gulliver. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it, I, I think that you know, like uh, it, it, you know, from that as a starting point, uh, uh, many things were possible. And I think that it's definitely opened doors for how I would probably want to sort of uh, realize future outdoor uh, works. Yeah. And Brooke, you have been really uh, supportive of artists doing public art. And do you also talk with artists about storytelling? Because you have transformed Madison Square Park. I remember it many years ago when it was struggling as just an ordinary city park, but now it has totally transformed itself with multiple gardens and now installations that people really look forward to seeing. So do you also collaborate with artists to tell these narratives that people can you know, ponder on. Um, I think our role as a curator is to heed the artist's work um, and to follow the path that the artist um, is establishing and setting up. What's been interesting with Leonardo is that he, his work is typically um, uses the wall um, as, a, as a source or a springboard um, to realize indoor environments or installations. Um, the challenge here was to, to talk to and uh, invite an artist, Leonardo, uh, to see how he would conceive of an outdoor space that has, where there is no wall, and the plane was where we had to engage. And I think he has met that challenge um, with extraordinary distinction in Madison Square Park. It's also been fascinating because Leonardo predicted yes. how the public I did not have it in my mind's eye what the public interaction would be. When you see, when we have the opening night festivities, the, this crowd who is very initiated in contemporary art, or people who are experts, there's a great hesitation about engaging physically with that work, about walking on it or sitting on it, because we're all trained. 
so extensively to look at things but not touch. touch. That's right, not touch, not put your body in, in uh, interaction with them. So, but more recently when the public, when the lawn is open, the whole lawn is open four days a week, um, when that lawn is open and people infiltrate the sculpture, they immediately take to it. And that has been what you predicted and what you hoped for and what you anticipated. And I think that that's been the great joy of having this project. Well, I can concur. I went a couple of days ago, really last week. I came here to the gallery first. I was absolutely amazed. And I could see the colors and patterns from your artwork from this exhibition and the installation at Madison Square Park. And when I got there, it was overrun with children. I had never seen anything like it. They were all over it with nannies chasing children down and saying, do not touch and the kids were climbing. And I was just standing there and I just didn't know what to do because at every, you had like these sort of rows and they were all over it. And I, Brooke asked me, she said, what do you think? We had a little chat. I said, there were all these children all over it. It was more children and I think you can see the artwork. They were really there. So you really wanted that. What did you, you wanted them to interact, but what else did you wanted them to feel? Well, uh you know, the, uh, the idea of, uh, of uh, or at least a, I've always had a philosophy in terms of how uh, the uh, viewer should be complicit okay. and realizing themselves in the work. Uh, the next phase of that would be actually the, the uh, physical contribution from you know, uh, you know, from folks mm -hmm. you know, who you know want to walk on the piece, climb on the piece. I built that into this piece. Okay. And uh, you know, when uh, Brooke and I are started out with the project, we had to obviously address safety, you know, like and all that. And you know, once I got an idea, like what things, you know, I you know I shouldn't be trying to do, you know, in terms of uh, you know tripping people up or you know like uh, you know chopping them in half, you know, it was like okay, let's you know create this piece so that uh, uh, compositionally it works but at the same time it invites you know a, a interaction so there are holes in the piece that allows the, you know the public to get get directly to pull themselves directly into the piece even before they're walking on the piece you're pulled into the composition wow so all those things were built into the piece so we were talking if we were talking you know we we're talking about like uh, you know like uh, how you understand composition voids and things like that all those things are in you know uh, uh, or at least a part of how um, I've always realized uh, structure okay and so for me it was a little it was academic okay uh, uh, though the end result was magical because you know like um, you only hold that you know your device <laughs> works. Yes. You know, um, uh, you know, like uh, so. You know, like Brooke, those holes are there <laughs> for that for a reason. So, so yeah. So and, and 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 the kids. I mean, even with the sign saying "Don't climb," they're all over it. Yeah. So it's like, uh, and I built the piece to be, climb. you know, interactive. Mm -hmm. with, you know, and like uh, there was no way. I mean, the, the, the you know the signs are there, but please, anyone, everybody, get in there. <laughs> Jump on it, live on it, walk on it, it's all yours, you know. Yeah. Go ahead, Bert. When we talk about outdoor public sculpture, we talk about uh, complete access and that it's a very democratic experience of looking at works of art. There's no admission fee, there's mm -hmm. no threshold to cross. 
this has certainly fulfilled all of those aspects of what is an outdoor sculpture in a, in a public park. Um, what's also been interesting is that Leonardo um, has asked that the work be allowed to take um, on weather and that the piece mm. allows to weather and I uh, guess what you might call disintegrate. Yes. Um, and that is something that those of us who come from a museum background who are trained um, to document and preserve works of art, we, this is a project that makes you unlearn uh, certain things that you have taken to heart uh, for in fact, that's what I wanted to talk to you about right now, <clears throat> because Madison Square Park is allowing artists to do things that they're not normally given permission to do. I mean, when you look at the city of New York and the rules that are, uh, artists are required and groups are required to um, abide by when it comes to public art, the city of New York is constantly saying, you don't want the public to get hurt, you don't want them to engage but so much. Um, it's that sort of standoffish sort of thing. And with Madison Square Park, you're really encouraging, like you just said, the opposite. Do you feel that that um, space that you're offering artists is going to impact this city to get them to rethink how we should look at public art. You know, all of our projects are heavily engineered um, to wind and weather conditions and to the safety of the public. So I, I, I guess I would disagree that it's taking a new tack in, in that sense. The difference is that a project like Leonardo's um, is using materials that may not be typically considered okay. standard for outdoor public sculpture. It's not works in it's not bronze, it's not polyester resin. Um, that, uh, those materials are there to withstand the test of time, but this is a temporary, a temporary outdoor project. All right, so let's go with materials, Leonardo, because I still feel that it's about the materials that's allowing the public to have this different sort of experience. So I know that you have said many times before that you do not use found materials. You actually fabricate your pieces, but it gives that sense that it's something that's been used or weathered. So tell us a little bit about your process in developing the materials that you use for your, your projects. Well, I always like to believe, I mean, I know with certainty that we're, we're not separate from nature. Mm -hmm. We are actually, you know, uh, you know, nature of nature. We, 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 uh, we're not, you know, like uh, when it comes to actually creating uh, these things, I do become the weather. Okay. You know, so, and uh, it's not a large statement, it's just, you know, just by, you know, just by, you know, the sheer fact that I actually am indeed made up of the same element. So when I attack these things, I understand that, uh, that uh, life has to be, life is, is layered and it's always about experiences. That means materials also can have that experiences and that gives them, it makes them more impactful. Mm -hmm. So I always, you know, like, like as I'm building, creating things, I never believe that anything in the studio is sacred. Okay. You know, if I get a work back, I take it apart, you know, to create more works. Okay. So it's, there, there, there's, there's always this kind of a cannibalism or actually a give and take where we- a great Call and response. Well, it's, 
said, you know, it, 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 it's all it's all of these things. It's like, um, but it, as long as you're going through, if you're going through this, you want to make sure that you start to take out the, the, the sort of safeties. Okay. You know, all these sort of like uh, uh, predictable sort of catches, like you know, oh, uh, this is yeah, I shouldn't be touching this. This is finished. Nothing's ever finished. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's around me, you know, like the museums actually have a you know the mm -hmm. man. Was, I remember whether it was the Nan Rosenthal was like she told the guards, mm. you know, don't let him get next to the piece because he will try to take it apart. Now I've never done that. Okay. But in there somewhere in my in my philosophy, it's a possibility that I can, you know, maybe I might see something that say, this has to be because this could be better. Okay. So okay. so the the, the the idea of of, of, of working uh, materials and actually the life of the art is you know it's ongoing. It's okay. never ending. So it's about fluidity, yeah. about being alive. Uh, allowing being alive. life yeah. to impact you. Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. And and Brooke, when when you first saw Leonardo's concept, what was your first reaction? Because he's trying to weave in so many different, as you say, layers. So therefore, the public can enjoy this. Uh, I think that we were all very taken with the fact that Leonardo used the ground plane with such um, in such a new way, um, and also that the um, the holes in the work, the purposeful voids, were very were, were responding exactly to um, to that site and to the grass growing up in between it, and uh, that it grew, that the the parkness wasn't denied mm -hmm. um, in the work, and that it fed into that. Um, the other thing is, that's interesting is that the project is going to travel to the North Carolina Museum of Art. Oh, congratulations. And in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, and it will take on a different life there. And so, you know, this question now, we talked about this in the symposium yesterday, the question now of outdoor public work being only um, having that term site specificity, site specific work, or site responsive work. This has an incredible adaptability about it. Congratulations. So now, in relationship to that being uh, your piece moving to North Carolina, the work that you have here, does it also have that sense of adaptability? Because when I look at this work, it's so explosive. I mean, it's just amazing. It's like all this energy and emotions coming out. Do you feel that some of these sort of uh, gallery-style works also has that adaptability to Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the direction of the work where it's going these days, uh, definitely uh, it's always about about uh, adaptability um, you know there's a piece right now that's in the uh, San Francisco airport mm -hmm. uh, just hung last week oh wow and uh, <laughs> they were they start, that one piece actually started out as uh, you know like actually was a gigantic piece that was at the young was broken up to three different situations wow uh, crystal bridges Facebook and now SFO 
So that piece, talking about adaptability, it definitely is gone, and like it will continue to go. You know, okay. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so these parts, bits and pieces, are always open to, and uh, you know, uh, another level of interpretation based on the environment, the space. Uh, so, you know, like I said, it's, if you built that build that into your philosophy, it's very easy to sort of like break these things down. Uh, if they're not sacred items, you okay. know, you're, you know, it's, it's, it's an open field. Okay. And Brooke, I have to commend your organization because um, your conservancy has been very consistent in allowing a variety and diverse array of artists to engage with the park. That has not been the traditional history of public art in a lot of major cities in the country. And how were you able to, you know, like convince your team that this is the only direction that we need to go in? Uh, I, I think it's our responsibility to, to uh, understand the, the polyphony of the contemporary art um, world and to bring to not just have a program that focuses on one type of work, but to bring in a great um, variety of work by well, at your conference yesterday, or rather symposium, that was one of the things that was said, how the Met is now looking to have works on those various fountain pieces in the, in the front of their building. And um, you have Ms. Baez talking about if you give us the opportunity, then we can fill those spaces. And so it does take good leadership to do those kinds of things. I think the idea of the men bringing outdoor temporary work to their that very imposing facade of the building is so exciting um, and such a wonderful development that um, museums are now using uh, public art as a gateway into their collections and I think that that's a do you feel your agency has been one of those leaders to kind of push, you know, museums to really think outside of the box? Um, you know, if you follow the most distinguished artists working today, they <coughs> work in the public realm. Ah. Again, I think that that's, um, that's the path that you have to walk down. Okay, so that's challenge, you have challenged it because before it, it, it wasn't the case. And, and then with works like Leonardo, which is also asking people to touch the works and then engage the works, and whether it's positive or negative, it, it, it really makes a difference. And are you open to that as well with your work, both positive as well as negative interaction with what the work? negative? Well, I meant like, uh, for, for example, Ms. Baez was saying yesterday that she was open if someone were trying to destroy the work, that she would be welcome to that, it's, uh, or writing on it, or adding something to it. I would have to see it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're honest. <laughs> I am open. Okay. All right. So I'm going to ask people, does anyone in the audience have any questions for our... Just a comment. Uh, I, uh, an artist uh, mentor had some works on display, I think on the West Coast, and some children were removing pieces to it. And the parents were encouraging, yeah, go ahead and do that. So he was there and he said, so he simply commented, I'm not so sure the artist would be that pleased with what you're doing. <laughs> 
I've seen kids actually doing that with this piece. Okay. Uh, because of the way it was built, there, uh, you know, some parts are really built and then others are kind of loosely built. And the city aspects, the flatter parts of it, are starting to come up. So the kids are tossing them around at each other. So I was just like, you know, I cheering them on. So I was like, it's all good. <laughs> and it informing Brooke that, you know, because she's calling me and saying, yeah, these parts are coming up. I said, we had this conversation. You know, like this, the piece actually is supposed to come apart. You know, uh, I'm hoping that it comes apart more, but I think I built it too well. And I keep yes. calling it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, this is what you gave the talk, I did want to say to Brooke, you know, you talked about cur curatorially as a path to go down, and I just wanted to make sure everyone here knows that Brooke has organized a series of talks every year, which have become significant for practitioners of, I would say, art, artists and art and curators working in the public realm. Um, but we won this yesterday, and I'm sure it's online that people want to, but I think what's also really Created a forum for curatorial and critical kind of long-term inquiry, and to, to, which further supports artists like Leonardo or others who want to work now or in the future in the public space. So, bravo for that work done. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. You have a question. Warehouse I'm sorry, what was the question? I was curious how you warehouse, catalog, oh. all of the stuff that you acquired to Honestly, if it's given back to me, it's 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 uh it, it's up for grabs. I mean, I'm, I'm ready to take it apart, turn it into something else. So the gallery always are informed that if they give something back to me, they, they refuse to give things back to me because they know this that they're never going to see it again. And I'm not storing things. I don't store art. So it's like a, it's just a matter of actually. Um, you know, like I said, nothing is really sacred. There's always the uh, the next phase or next uh, iteration. Um, yeah. So when you went to build this this piece, you had. Oh, I had. There were other things going on too. This was just one of the items. Yeah. The gallery was covered with what we call seasons, which are cardboard large enough, like this from here to where And we didn't actually know what this thing was going to look like because in the in the space I was working on the Madison piece along with uh, the airport piece along with this piece all in the space is really small and uh, realizing all these things is in your head so I you know like um I can see it you know um, uh, even though you know it was I couldn't actually see it see it I could see it in in, 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 in my, my my spirit and in my uh, within myself I knew where it was going where all these things were going. So uh, if you guys have seen the piece of Madison Park, it is massive. Uh, this is minute in comparison. But they all were happening in one space. So, <laughs> so it's just a matter of just uh, um, uh, trusting um, and realizing things, uh, how things can actually uh, meet themselves. Um, and just, yeah, participate in it, yeah. I should mention, going to Leonardo's studio is Fascinating because um, not only is the space double height, uh, 
so it's an expanse that soars upward. But also, something that I've never experienced is that there is a black and white movie channel that is on constantly on the TV, playing in, in the studio. So there is a cinematic interaction 24-7 when you're in that space. It doesn't turn off for a visitor. Also movement, because I was going to ask, and, I, and I, see, I see you, but I was going to say, have you ever combined your works with performance art? Because now that I'm seeing the work, I can also imagine a performance being done in the gallery to be a response to your work. Well, actually, back in 97, I oh. collaborated with Merce Cunningham. Oh, wow. And uh, he actually like to meditate in front of the piece that met almost, which is this rust and cotton piece. And uh, so when asked, you know, you know, who he wanted to work with next, he wanted to work with me. But when he called me, I, honestly, I didn't really know who he was. <laughs> so, and then, so he was like, uh, would you be interested in working with me? And I said, and he told me this, this, and that. And I said, let me make a few phone calls, <laughs> you know, and I'll call you back. And it was like, yes. Yes. Okay. 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 <laughs> interesting how he actually, you know, uh, 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 created things. It's like uh, he had this sort of um, uh, structure, which was the artist did his thing. Uh, he did the uh, phrasing and choreography, mm -hmm. and then of course the musician did his thing, all separate from one another. Opening night, all these elements came together. Uh -huh. And so I asked him. I said, "Well, what happens if you know?" He says. You know, it's always this, I, you know, I get a chance and, uh, and the possibilities of like, you know, allowing each party to sort of uh, reach their full potential without necessarily like this, with the word collaboration at this point was really not necessarily misnomerous, not really. It's, okay. You know, all things coming together. Mm -hmm. Kubrick also creates things in that way. Okay. Stanley Kubrick, you know, three, you know, disparate things coming together. Strongly seen actually in movies like uh, two, uh, 2001. Okay, very assemblage. Exactly. Yes. And he brings these elements together. So Merce worked the very same way. Ah. And I started sort of like once working with Merce, it was like, you know, you know, I started to borrow, you know, some of his sort of like uh, applications on how he realized things. Okay. So that became part of my philosophy. Okay. You know? yeah. That's good. Mm -hmm. I know you had a question. Thank you so much. Thank you all and congratulations. Uh, because it was your first public piece, has it has the experience of doing that work uh, informed your next? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I I, I like to believe that. Um, uh, uh, this my philosophy. The philosophy was actually absolutely. Um, uh, challenged by the idea that you're going to sort of allow people to sort of physically interact with the work. Uh, once you've done that, it's, I don't think there's any turning back. You need to sort of like now push that all the way. And um, realizing that, I would love to do more works that would in be inclusive in terms of like the public uh, finishing the works, uh, becoming the weather, so to speak. If I'm doing that in the studio, why not have you know a, a bunch of other hands or assistants? You know. <laughs> 
to get you there. So this piece, when it finally reaches its you know, final stage, uh, that would be after it's done its traveling, then you know, I can come to terms with like, you know, how uh, uh, all these uh, things have impacted the experience of the work. And you had a question. Yeah, when this show is over, mm. this piece can never be put back exactly the same way or can it? Uh, in the space of equal size, yes, yes, sort of. <laughs> but uh, the reality is, I, I, I'm, I'm already looking at it and saying, I like that part there, I like this. <laughs> and I want it back so I can take it apart. So <laughs> Mary's not happy about that, but actually, this is a part, this is how I work. So I'm always looking at elements that, you know, I couldn't possibly have seen when they're in the studio. It's too much stuff. But when it's out in the white box, you know, you see, I can see everything. And the potential for uh, um, uh, future works are just there, you know. Dying to get it back. <laughs> the gentleman in the back. Congratulations, Leo. So, Gary. <laughs> it's great to be standing here at this show. And I, I think since I've known you, I may have seen every show that you've done in New York. That's true. And what's coming to mind, well, not all of them, but what's coming to mind is your first, I think it was your first show at the late Joe Oversweet's Curator's wow. House in East Village. 1988. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I think, you, I think you titled all your pieces Monstrosities. Yeah. And yeah. They were large and gorgeous, and, mm. and you made uh, important uh, material. Oh, thank you, thank you. You know, actually, uh, on that note, uh, those elements that I used then, which was really a lot of dead animals, um, you need to go. I need to go through that. You know, in order to sort of uh, challenge or at least uh, get past my fears. You know, we're all afraid of what's on the other side. So it's like, okay, there are a number of things that I need to deal with. That was one of them. And um, as an artist, you you know, you want to challenge your fears. So I said, okay, once I dealt with these dead these dead things, uh, it was like uh, the next phase was I didn't really need those you know sensational uh, elements to be a part of the work. Uh, I found my voice mm. and actually challenging my fears. Mm. So uh, the work now actually still resonates with all that. Uh, you can call it dark or whatever, but it's, there's an emotional charge. But that was all gleaned or learned from that experience from, from back in 80, 88, 89. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you brought that up. I would have forgot that. <laughs> and Brooke, uh, Leonardo just said something that was really profound. He said he found himself. Do you feel that when you work with artists at the park that you're helping them to transcend uh, their, their spirit and so that they can express themselves even more? I think what can be so gratifying is that after an artist does a work in public in Madison Square Park, that if some semblance of that, either in practice or the materials or the scale moves into a next phase of the work, that's, that's something that, um, that that's extraordinary. And wow. That's, yeah, what we hope for. Well, I just want to thank both of them, Leonardo and Brooke, for joining us this afternoon. The gallery has graciously um, offered some light refreshments for guests. If you haven't seen all of the works, please start to walk through this exhibition. It's amazing. And we're open to little private little conversations, some photographs. And this will be um, on about a dozen platforms next week. So thank you. Thank 
you so very, very much for coming out. I know it's gonna be a love.